A lot of people are wondering about House Speaker Paul Ryan's future after reports surfaced last week that he may leave Congress next year. In this week's Capitol Notes conversation, Marty Michelson asked J.R. Ross of wispolitics.com what he thinks about the scuttlebutt. He says there are some logical explanations as to why Ryan might be eyeing the exits, but there are still reasons to question the reports. On the one hand, you can kind of see a roadmap of why Ryan would be ready to be done. I mean, he's on the verge of likely passing the tax bill, the final passage of it through both houses of the Congress. He wants to tackle um, the overhaal of the social safety net in this country, a big priority of his for entitlement, uh, entitlement reform. And, you know, he's been in office for almost two decades. He's a guy who's 47. Um, he's got young kids. He wants to be at home. He's never really embraced the role of being speaker. So you can see the roadmap of why. The question I've gotten from people, though, in talking about the story has been, why is the story come up now? Because politically, it doesn't strengthen Ryan's hand to have a perception out there that he wants to leave. Um, he's still raising money to try and protect the Republican majority in the elections come November. Um, beyond that, you know, he's trying to kind of keep the caucus in line on major bills. And then thirdly, anything that's happening where his potential successors are jockeying for position and votes, it sucks oxygen away from his priorities, you know, this this kind of call to tackle entitlement uh, programs. So for him, it's not the best time to have a story out there. You know, whether it's true or not, I really can't say. But it is interesting that this story is coming up now and what it means for Ryan politically the next year being speaker. If Paul Ryan were to step down, um, as you were saying, his move likely would lead to jockeying for a position among House Republicans in Washington. But what would the potential fallout look like here in Wisconsin? For one thing, uh, there's one story that suggests that he would leave before the 20 team is even up. That wouldn't run for re-election. Now, if that happened, you're talking an open seat in what looks like it could be a very good year for Democrats with the environment. Uh, Randy Bryce has already raised more than a million dollars for that seat. He's got somebody else running against him for the Democrat nomination, but it would create the opportunity for Democrats to have a better shot at that seat, possibly. Now, you know, be sure Paul Ryan has issues in the district with his job approval numbers because he's become a national figure, and House Speaker sometimes see that happen. But he still has ten some ten million bucks in the bank. That is nothing to laugh at. That would be a significant campaign he could run. That would give him a huge advantage financially. If he's not there and that money's not there, well, it might change the dynamic of the race. So there's that piece to it that you got to kind of wonder about, like, what would happen if he left early? Um, There's also, you know, the possibility of Republicans losing control of the House uh, in the November elections. If that would happen, you know, it's not uncommon for leaders to step down, period, after their party loses control uh, to allow fresh blood to take over and, and lead the party when it's in the minority. So there's that out. You know, possibility as well. It's still a lot of things up in the air about what this could look like. And to be honest, even if even if it's even true, you know, Ryan's office was adamant that this was you know speculation and nothing more than that. Um, I heard one DC aide tell me it was you know fake news, but we'll see. It, it's uh, definitely now become part of the parlor game of politics in Wisconsin about Paul Ryan's future. In the meantime, at the state capitol, the John Doe investigation of Governor Walker's 2012 recall campaign is still being buzzed about. The state Justice Department's investigation into leaked documents from the probe 
showed problems with how the documents were handled. The people who handled those documents were disputing, uh, have disputed the Justice Department's findings. Meanwhile, top Republicans in the legislature are demanding resignations at the Elections Commission. So will reverberations about the report continue, and will the calls for resignations go anywhere? Well, so far we've seen the commissions dig in and defend the administrators who have been called on to resign. Now, Senate Leader Scott Fitzgerald kind of upped the ante late last week, saying that the two administrators will never, quote-unquote, never get the votes in the Senate for confirmation. And unless they resign, he'll take up those confirmation votes in January, in which he's betting they'd be voted down. So does that put pressure on them to do some kind of change? That remains to be seen. But what's kind of clear is that Republicans did not like the old Government Accountability Board. They thought the deck was stacked against them. This agency had become corrupted in their words, and then it was a a partisan agency. That's why they created the Elections and Ethics Commission on party line line votes. They thought this would be a better model, uh, more transparent. What they're finding is that they still don't trust these agencies, even after creating them only a few months ago, because of the staff. Now, is it justified or not? You know, that's for others to decide. But what is clear is that they think these holdovers from the old GAB are still a problem. Um, and Democrats are pushing back hard, saying these guys are out of line and pushing for these resignations because they're trying to manage the people who are supposed to be watching over them. And there's come a, a tight line to walk in doing that. One of the biggest races in Wisconsin in the coming year will be for U.S. Senate as Democrat Tammy Baldwin runs for re-election. This already was expected to be a tight race. Are the stakes higher now after Democrats inched closer to power in the U.S. Senate with Doug Jones's victory over Roy Moore in Alabama last week? Well, it's been interesting to talk about that race is trying to figure out what correlation there might be between what happened in Alabama and what's going to happen in Wisconsin and elsewhere nationally in 2018. Now, on the one hand, let's be honest, Roy Moore is a horribly flawed candidate. Uh, Republicans distanced themselves, or many did, not all of them. Many Republicans distanced themselves from Roy Moore in the closing weeks. Um, you don't usually see those kind of allegations against a candidate that is on the ballot for a U.S. Senate seat. So there's that you know, piece you got to kind of look at. Maybe it's different. But what is concerning for Republicans is the trend that they're seeing not just in Alabama, but in Virginia and other special elections where uh, minority turnout is up and educated suburban women are leaving the party. Now, is that trend going to hold? We'll see. But if it does, that would be a major problem for Republicans next year because it would be a sign that Democratic base is very energized, will turn out in big numbers, and that a constituency they've relied on before, uh, these kind of educated suburban women, are not there. If they don't have them, that's something to be worried about for a Republican right now. At this point, there are there are two Republicans hoping to run against Baldwin, State Senator Leah Vukmir and GOP businessman and veteran Kevin Nicholson. Nicholson has been backed by Steve Bannon, uh, President Trump's former advisor. Bannon backed Roy Moore in the Alabama contest, yet wasn't able to get Moore across the finish line. So could Bannon's failure in Alabama signal the kiss of death for Nicholson? You know, I don't know if it's going to be the kiss of death or anything. People who are really kept swept up in politics may kind of, you know, debate the impact. But Steve Bannon is not necessarily the problem in Alabama. Roy Moore definitely was. Now, Bannon obviously backed Moore. But there are politics in Alabama that kind of go beyond just, was Steve Bannon the deciding factor? I mean, 
in Alabama, Luther Strange, the Republican who was appointed to fill that seat when Jeff Sessions became the Attorney General, he had been appointed by a governor who was scandal-plagued. So there was some, you know, kind of taint from that. On Luther Strange, uh, Roy Moore has got a vocal constituency in the GOP base. I mean, all kinds of things like that that went to play in that race beyond just Steve Bannon. But Democrats will for sure make Bannon to be like this boogeyman. And I don't know if that plays necessarily with average voters, but with the base, with Democrats who are really turned into politics, who are tuned into politics, who really pay attention to stuff, that's the kind of thing that gets them motivated to, you know, do the phone banks, to put yard signs up, to write the checks that they see this guy as a threat. And, you know, it, it's something that can motivate the base quite a bit at next year's election. Also in the U.S. Senate race, Republican businessman Eric Hovde says he's still contemplating a run. Hovde placed a close second to Tommy Thompson in the 2012 GOP primary for Senate and is said to be in a position to front much of his own money for the campaign. Why do you think Hovde is dragging his feet in deciding whether to get into the race, and how long can he afford to wait? Well, you know, he's taking his time because he can. I mean, he's run once before. He's got money, um, whereas Leah Vukmir and Kevin Nicholson have to kind of go out there and raise the funds. Eric can write a check. It's a different dynamic. Now, there are foundational things that if Hovde is just serious about getting in that, you know, people tell me he should be doing, you know, lining up a campaign team, making appearances at Republican events, um, working the grassroots, making him know that he's not just kind of coming around once every six years to talk to him, but that he's really engaged. Those things they want to see from him. But he's got time. He's a wild card, you know. Um, Vukmir obviously has some ties to the grassroots. He's been around a long time, legislature fighting for their causes they care about. Uh, Nicholson's new on the scene. He's got some super PACs behind him that are spending money and helping pump up his name ID. But Hovde's run before statewide, but the two haven't. So that's an advantage. You know, he's done this before. But uh, he is right now the wild card of all this about Republicans, especially because we're watching a little bit. If Nicholson can kind of grasp the, the lane of the, the outsider in this race and really kind of make that his, where's Hovde's lane to run? You know, I mean, you have two outsiders running. Who's the best situated to do that or run that kind of campaign against Vukmir, who's you know, been in the legislature for you know, more than a dozen years? Sexual harassment cases remain in the spotlight as complaints about more national figures became public last week. In Wisconsin, State Senate Majority Leader Jennifer Schilling now says she would be willing to release claims of sexual harassment against lawmakers, provided steps would be taken to protect victims. This is a change of heart for her, so talk about why she's shifting her position and who else would have to be on board in order for any changes to occur. No, this is becoming an all-encompassing issue right now because we're seeing men, uh, so far at least, in politics, business, um, uh, the media being hit with these kind of allegations, and it is becoming an issue for lawmakers to deal with of how they want to address this. So it's they're kind of feeling their way through this, but right now, you know, shilling alone can't change the policy. It would require agreement from both caucuses. And, and to date, at least, Scott Fitzgerald has not said, the Senate Drew Leader has not said that he wants to see his complaints released. There's also, you know, what would be released? How, many, how much detail would you release? Because you want to, these leaders have said, they want to make sure there's an environment where women who, or people who feel like they're harassed or have uh, faced this kind of uh, behavior feel safe to go report the allegations to the authorities. If they don't feel safe, if they feel like they're going to be, you know, 
face a lot of public scrutiny for, if their name will be out there, that might cause them pause about whether they come forward.